Good morning, and welcome to Simply Economics. It's Sunday, February 4th. On today's show, Finance Secretary T.V. Somanathan discusses the macroeconomic stability that the budget intends to preserve, while the Hang Seng Index, ASX 200, and Nikkei 225 are influenced by central banks and macroeconomics. Plus, digitalization is highlighted as key to navigating persisting macroeconomic challenges in 2024. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Economics. We start off with a look at the 2024-25 budget, which has maintained a high level of investment with an increase of over 11% in capital expenditure and a continued focus on macroeconomic stability, according to Finance Secretary T.V. Somanathan. In a post-budget interview, he also mentioned that the conditions for capital expenditure support to states may change in the next financial year. Here to delve deeper into this is our correspondent, Michael. Can you tell us more about the implications of this budget? Certainly, David. The budget is not designed as a message to anyone, be it rating agencies, bond markets, or the private sector. It's an operational statement of the government's finances. The level of capital expenditure is deemed appropriate given the overall fiscal circumstances and current growth rates. It's expected to sustain the present growth rate, regardless of private investments. What about the states? How does this budget affect them? For states, the budget is crucial as it determines the amounts of devolution and the grants they will receive. The budget has continued RE's 1.3 lakh crore for one more year, which is significant for the states. However, this is not a permanent scheme. The guidelines for the next financial year's CAPEX support to states will be issued in due course. What can we expect from these guidelines? The guidelines will be reissued, taking into account the experiences with the earlier ones and the relevance for the coming year. They will also consider new initiatives that need to be promoted. RU 75,000 crore of the budget will be based on reforms as mentioned in the budget. And what about the private sector? How does this budget impact private investment intentions? The budget aims to preserve macroeconomic stability, which could create a good investment climate. If the climate is good, India being one of the fastest growing countries in the world will attract investment resources. The budget also supports several production-linked incentive schemes which are encouraging capital investment in certain sectors. There are also initiatives announced in the budget for private sector projects in innovative sunrise sectors. What about the housing sector? Is there any provision in the budget for that? Yes, there's a scheme being designed to provide some incremental support to certain deserving sections of the middle class. It aims to provide them with cheaper loans to acquire houses. The specifics of the scheme are still being worked out, but it could involve lower-cost loans through priority sector credit schemes. And finally, what about the capital expenditure support to states? How is that being managed? The capital expenditure support to states is not just about extending money. The government aims to stimulate capital investment and incentivize state-level reforms. It's a combination of an unconditional component and a conditional component. The specific reforms may differ, but the aim is to achieve a balance between short-run and long-run trade-offs. 
After hearing from our Simply Economics reporter Michael on the 2024-25 budget, let's now turn our attention to the global market. On Wednesday, the Hang Seng Index led the Nikkei 225 and the ASX 200 into positive territory, fueled by U.S. inflation figures and China's central bank moves. However, modest overnight gains from the U.S. signal caution for Thursday, with economic indicators from Japan and Australia in focus. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent, Abby. Indeed, David. The softer-than-expected U.S. consumer price inflation figures raised bets on the Fed ending its rate hike cycle, which set the tone for the Wednesday Asian session. This was reflected in the Nasdaq Composite Index rallying 2.37%, and the Dow and S&P 500 ending the day up 1.43% and 1.91% respectively. How did the Asian economic indicators influence the markets? Economic indicators from Japan didn't spook investors, despite a more marked economic contraction than expected. This actually fueled bets on the Bank of Japan keeping monetary policy ultra-loose. Meanwhile, better-than-expected retail sales and industrial production numbers from China suggested that Beijing's stimulus measures were taking effect, supporting the appetite for riskier assets. What about the U.S. retail sales? How did they impact the markets? U.S. retail sales fell less than expected, while producer prices signaled easing demand-driven inflationary pressures. This supports the idea of the Fed ending its rate hike cycle amid falling inflationary pressures increasing the chance of an H1 2024 Fed rate cut. What can we expect from the Asian economic calendar? This morning, machinery orders from Japan beat forecasts, suggesting a possibly improving demand environment. However, trade data sent mixed signals. Exports rose at a more modest pace, while import declined at a less marked rate. For the ASX 200, Australian employment figures could influence sentiment toward RBA monetary policy. What are the futures markets signaling for Thursday? The futures markets signaled a negative start to the Thursday session. The ASX 200 and the Nikkei were down 9 and 60 points, respectively. How did the ASX 200, Hang Seng Index, and the Nikkei 225 perform on Wednesday? The ASX 200 rose by 1.42% on Wednesday with tech rallying on the overnight slide in yields. The Hang Seng Index rallied 3.92% on Wednesday, with hopes of improved U.S.-China relations and central bank policy moves contributing to the session gains. The Nikkei 225 ended Wednesday up 2.52%. Thanks for those insights, Abby. Now let's shift gears to the road freight industry. Digital freight forwarder Sender has released its second European Road Freight 2023 Year in Review, a market report focusing on the key industry trends of 2023. The report, based on data from its network of approximately 40,000 trucks, provides an analysis of the road freight industry landscape and an outlook on the trends that will impact the industry in 2024. Here to discuss this further is Bella, a correspondent for Simply Economics. Bella, can you tell us more about the key findings of this report? Certainly, David. The report highlights that 2023 was a challenging year for the road freight industry, with global macroeconomic conditions affecting shippers and carriers. Road freight demand, often seen as a barometer of economic health, witnessed a downturn after the record freight rates seen in 2022. Carriers, needing to secure loads, engaged in low-price strategies, driving down freight rates. Sender identified road freight rates falling as much as 9% in Q1 2023. 
that's quite a significant drop. But the report also mentions that European carrier rates were up by the end of the year. What caused this? Yes, by the end of the year, European carrier rates were up 1% above January 2023 levels. This was due to peak season demand and new German road tolls introduced in December 2023, which increased toll costs by up to 83% for carriers operating on German roads. As a result, German freight rates ended 2023 up by 6%, a rise that sender attributes to these increased costs. What about the spot market? How did it fare in 2023? The spot market saw a downturn in 2023, with sender observing a 47% decline in market spot opportunities year on year. Unfavorable macroeconomic conditions suppressed consumer spending and business orders, leading to sustained excess truckload capacity. However, during the peak freight season, sender's truckload volume still peaked at 65% above average in the last week of November 2023. As many cost-conscious consumers waited for Black Friday discounts before making significant purchases. And what is sender's strategy moving forward, given these market conditions? In light of the ongoing market volatility, sender plans to expand its control tower business model for sustainable growth. They aim to take over 100% of their customers' full truckload business and digitize all parts of the interaction. This approach is expected to lower costs for their customers and build a reliable demand for base volumes, contracted loads, and spot loads. This remains a priority for Sender in 2024. Thanks for the insights, Bella. Speaking of economic developments, Let's shift our focus to Ghana, where the World Bank has approved a $300 million development policy operation. This financing from the bank's International Development Association is aimed at aiding Ghana's economic recovery and supporting the country's resilient and inclusive growth. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent. Can you tell us more about this development policy operation? Certainly, David. This operation, known as the first Resilient Recovery Development Policy Financing, is the first in a series of three, each worth $300 million. It's a significant contribution by the World Bank to ease Ghana's fiscal constraints, sustain economic recovery, and protect the poor and vulnerable. The government of Ghana is committed to restoring macroeconomic stability and implementing reforms for long-term sustainable growth and transformation. What led to the approval of this financing package? The approval follows an agreement in principle by the Official Creditors Committee under the G20 Common Framework on the key parameters of the proposed debt restructuring for Ghana. This agreement, which aligns with the Joint World Bank International Monetary Fund Debt Sustainability Framework, is a critical step toward restoring debt sustainability. What are the specific objectives of this operation? The operation aims to restore fiscal sustainability, support financial sector stability and private sector development, improve energy sector financial discipline, and strengthen social and climate resilience. It's part of a broader World Bank engagement for crisis response and resilience in Ghana. The specific reforms supported by this financing series include strengthening domestic revenue mobilization, controlling expenditures, safeguarding financial sector stability, removing barriers to private investment, setting the energy sector on a sound financial and operational footing, strengthening the country's social protection system, and mainstreaming climate adaptation and mitigation across policies. 
Can you tell us more about the International Development Association, which is providing this financing? The International Development Association, or IDA, was established in 1960. It helps the world's poorest countries by providing grants and low to zero interest loans for projects and programs that boost economic growth, reduce poverty, and improve poor people's lives. It's one of the largest sources of assistance for the world's 74 poorest countries, 39 of which are in Africa. Since 1960, IDA has provided $458 billion to 114 countries. Thanks for joining us, James. And with that, we conclude our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Economics. We'll see you back here tomorrow.